Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the MDS podcast, the official podcast channel of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorders Society. My name is Eduardo de Pablo Fernandez from the University College London Queen Square Institute of Neurology, and I have the pleasure of welcoming today Dr. Uh, Taller to discuss his paper, uh, Glucocerebros Today's Activities Not Associated with Parkinson's Disease Risk or Severity. Welcome to the MDS podcast, Dr. Taller, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Dr. Avner Taller is a neurologist at the Neurological Institute Tel Aviv Medical Center, and he has ample expertise and research experience evaluating GVA and LARC2 mutations. So before we discuss your paper, I would be grateful if I could use your expertise on this topic to discuss a bit the importance of GBA mutations, which is considered the most significant genetic risk factor for Parkinson's disease. And if you can tell us a bit more on the influence of these mutations in the phenotype of people with Parkinson's disease. Okay, so the GBA gene encodes a lysosomal enzyme called beta glucocerebrosidase. Homozygote carriers of mutations in the gene suffer from a disease that is called Gaucher's disease. And through those patients, clinical observations found that their first degree relatives had relatively high rates of Parkinson's disease. About 20 years ago, several publications surfaced with a link and then a more formalized paper in the New England Journal of Medicine actually found the connection between heterozygote GBA mutation carriers and risk for PD. The mutations in the GBA genes can be split into severe mutations, which are associated with Gaucher disease, mild mutations, which are associated with the less severe forms of Gaucher disease and variant mutations, which are associated with Parkinson's disease, but not with Gaucher's disease. There are more than 300 recognized mutations in the gene today, and it has been relatively thoroughly researched in the past 10 years with both genotype phenotype correlations and disease phenotype associations. And what came out is that relative to idiopathic Parkinson's disease or Parkinson's disease that is not caused by a known genetic mutation, mutations in the GBA genes cause a more severe form of Parkinson's disease, especially those with the more severe mutations, both in the motor aspect of the disease and in the non-motor aspect of the disease, more severe cognitive decline, more non-motor symptoms higher rates of hallucinations, and also earlier age of onset of the disease. That's very interesting. As you mentioned, the GBA gene encodes the protein uh, glucocerebrosidase, GKs for abbreviation. And one of the interesting topics of evaluating people with genetic mutations is trying to understand the pathogenic mechanisms underlying Parkinson's disease and this GKs activity has been associated with the accumulation of synuclein, not just in people with these mutations, but also in people with sporadic Parkinson's disease. What are your thoughts on that? 
the exact mechanism of how uh, GCAS deficiency is associated with Parkinson's disease risk is not clear yet. There are several theories that are currently circulated and they're not necessarily contradictory. They can be separated grossly into two. One is that the mutation causes a loss of function with substrate accumulation, and that has been shown to be associated with alpha-synuclein aggregation and even some kind of a positive loop between lower GCAS activity and alpha-synuclein aggregation and so forth. There is another theory that actually thinks that there's a gain of function due to the mutation with ER stress and eventual cell death. Again, it's not yet determined which one uh, actually is right or whether there's a combination of the two. But as you said, even in idiopathic PD in patients that do not have mutations in the GBA gene, some studies have detected lower GCAS activity, either in cells or in the biopsies. So there must be some kind of a role of GCAS even in non-GBA carriers, but that definitely needs further investigations. As you said before, these theories may be complementary because with Parkinson's disease is very heterogeneous from a clinical point of view and also from a pathogenic point of view. Focusing now on your paper, so your study assessed participants of the beat PD study, a specific population which is very interesting as they present a higher rate of mutations and it's a population at risk of developing Parkinson's disease. Can you tell us a bit more about the participants of your study? Yes, among Ashkenazi Jews, mutations in both the GBA gene and in the G2019S mutation in the LARC2 genes are very common. Up to a third of our Ashkenazi Jewish PD cohort are positive to at least one of those mutations. Almost, I think, the highest rate worldwide. So we have a very interesting cohort. We've ascertained genetic status of more than 3,000 PD patients throughout the years. And about six or seven years ago, we teamed up with Biogen for a natural history study, which collected 800 participants, 300 PD patients and 500 first degree relatives. The idea was to collect idiopathic PD, meaning PD patients that do not harbor mutations in either the LARC2 or the GBA and compare them to patients with mutations in the GBA gene and in the LARC2 gene and to collect healthy controls without mutations and healthy non-manifesting carriers of mutations in the GBA and the LARC2 gene. Some of them were followed up longitudinally every year, and most of them were just cross-sectionally assessed. That cohort is actually the basis of the paper that we are currently discussing. The specific study was also funded by the Michael J. Fox Foundation and the Silverstein Foundation for Parkinson's with GBA. Thank you. That's very interesting. I find that that non-manifesting carrier population that are at risk of developing Parkinson's disease is particularly interesting. And the results of your study show that GBA mutations in general correlate well with GK's activity, but they don't show much correlation with regards to phenotype of Parkinson's disease, motor and, and cognitive. And with non-manifesting carriers, they don't associate with prodromal symptoms. Basically, they don't show a higher risk of prodromal Parkinson's disease based on the MDS diagnostic criteria. 
there are conflicting results in the literature about these associations. Uh, how would you explain the results that you found in your study and how would you compare your results with other previous studies that have assessed GK's activity and phenotype in Parkinson's disease? Well, I think you described the results uh, very accurately. We found lower GCAS activity among the different PD participants with the different mutations, the mild mutations, the severe mutations, and the variant mutations. Among non-manifesting carriers of the GBA mutations, we found reduced GCAS activity as well. There was no significant difference within the groups or between the groups. There wasn't anything that separated a PD GBA carrier from a non-manifesting PD carrier. And the variance of the GCAS activity was pretty wide. I have to emphasize that we use dried blood spots for the assessment of the GCAS activity, which is what most publications to date have used. So the method itself is pretty valid. It's what has been used up to now. There could be different methods ascertaining GCAS activity in PBMCs and uh, CSF, but most of the literature to date have used the same method as we did. We did try to see whether the severity of the mutation influenced the results. We did a sub-analysis of just the most common mild GBA mutation among Ashkenazi Jews, which is the N370S mutation. And we uh, found that the results did not change. We have found the same results. I have to mention that the proportions of mild mutations in the cohort reflected their proportion in the Ashkenazi Jewish population. There are a lot of mild mutation carriers relevant to severe mutation. We were relatively low on severe mutation carriers that might influence the results as well, even though previous publication had relatively similar proportions of mild and severe. This is one of the largest cohorts to be assessed for the GCAS activity. So previous studies that did find the signal might have been underpowered, but we do feel pretty confident that GCAS activity per se is not what is responsible for the GBA association with PD. There should be other factors that come into play, other genetic factors, other environmental factors, age, what have you, that should be involved. And it is not a simple level of enzyme that could explain the risk and the severity of the disease. Finding a reliable biomarker for PD has been challenging so far. And so I don't know if you feel pretty confident that GKs is unfortunately not going to provide that reliable information that uh, would be really useful for uh, clinical decisions and, and prediction of care in the future. Uh, we have discussed that Parkinson's disease is uh, very heterogeneous from a clinical point of view. And I don't know what your thoughts would be in them providing more, not just cross-sectional, but longitudinal assessment of uh, GK's activity. I don't know if that would add any value to the possibility of GK's activity as a biomarker, or uh, you think that and the variation over time wouldn't be important from a disease marker point of view? It's definitely something that needs to be assessed. There haven't been a lot of studies that assess the longitudinal influence of time over the phenotype and the levels of GCAS activity. I would be surprised if they would be positive, but it's definitely 
something that needs to be done. I think the field needs to open up to the whole cascade and not just the GCAS activity, perhaps upstream or downstream uh, enzymes are relevant as well. And that is being done. I'm not sure how much CSF will have an influence. There's been little publication regarding the stability of GCAS in CSF. And I think that perhaps an association between GCAS activity and synuclein aggregation on uh, synuclein assay aggregate might have some more information that is still missing on RTQuicks, for instance. That is something that is needed as well. So there is a lot of work to be done and hopefully we'll be able to answer it in due time. Indeed, there is. One interesting point that you mentioned is, again, going back to the potential involvement of GK's activity in alpha-synuclein aggregation and therefore PD pathogenesis. There is ongoing trials that are targeting GK's activity with products like Ambroxol, for example, with the potential of using this target as disease-modifying therapies. So we are moving from GK's activity as a biomarker of disease progression or risk of Parkinson's disease. But now due to the potential pathogenic involvement, we are moving to a potential target for therapies. As you said, there is some evidence supporting this, but uh, there is still a lot of unanswered questions. I don't know what your thoughts are about the potential use of GK's activity as a therapeutic target. There are several companies that are in the market currently. I think that last year we had the inter-results of Nufi's trial, which was closed earlier than expected with no positive result. It was a disappointment. The Ambroxol and the other studies, the LTI has, has is opening a study in GBA. I think it's a valid target. I'm pretty convinced that GCAS itself is not the target, but the GBA gene might be able to teach us hopefully for the GBA PDs and hopefully even more for the idiopathic PDs, I am still hopeful and I hope that uh, we'll get positive results. The Abruxol phase two uh, showed positive results up to now. That's very interesting. My impression is that as it is clinically, I think Parkinson's disease is likely to be very heterogeneous from a pathogenic point of view. And I think probably we need to have better biomarkers and more tests to identify which pathogenic mechanisms are relevant for what group of patients, and probably that will lead to the development of more targeted therapies for a specific populations. And I think probably GBA mutations and GK's activity may be one of these areas that are going to be very useful, but only for a, a certain population of Parkinson's disease. Uh, yeah, same goes for the LARC2 mutations. There are several companies that are looking into ASOs and other mechanisms of intervening in the cascade in the LARC2 mutation. And I think general alpha-synuclein therapies might be relevant definitely for the GBA PD, because I think it's almost 100% certain that GBA PD will have alpha-synuclein as opposed to the LARC2 PDs, which we know have a more heterogeneous pathology, and less than 50% of them harbor alpha-synuclein when tested. So there are interesting options for moving forward for tailored treatments, and I think it's, a, it's an interesting time to study Parkinson's. Certainly, it is a very interesting era, and hopefully, as you said, things will continue to move forward. I would like to thank you for your time and expertise and sharing your 
knowledge with me and the MDS podcast listeners. I hope you enjoy the experience and I hope to have you here soon with another interesting study. Thank you very much for the opportunity. The views and opinions expressed by the participants in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society or their affiliated journals, Movement Disorders and Movement Disorders Clinical Practice. Any disclosures of the participants can be found within the episode description located on the MDS website.